So, we are in Genesis chapter 39. We're going to start reading from Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, brought, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over all his house and all that he owned he put in his charge. It came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned, in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Okay, so... Uh, this verse 1 is very similar to chapter 37, verse 36. Last verse of, verse of chapter 37, it says, Meanwhile, the Midianites uh, sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. And so what, what uh, Moses is telling us as he writes the book of Genesis is he took that interlude in chapter 38 where we learned about Judah, and that was over a period of, uh, uh, let's see, so that was over a period of, of um, about 23 years, 22 to 23 year period in chapter 38, where we learn what's going on with Judah. And now we pick right back up where we left off in chapter 37, where, where uh, Joseph is 17 and he is sold into Egypt. And remember that the Midianites and the Ishmaelites were the same people group. And so it says of Potiphar that he was an officer in Pharaoh's army. He was the captain of the bodyguard. Some translators say that he was the, the chief executioner. So the, he may well have been the head of all executions that, that Pharaoh wanted to, to carry out. In verse 2 it says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he became a successful man or a prosperous man. From, uh, uh, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. So I want you to think about this. This is just amazing, the picture here that you have. Here is this young man who sold into slavery. And, and, and it, this, Joseph, Joseph was, was not just, oh, happy-go-lucky. I mean, he, well, he was well aware what happened to him because in chapter 40, verse 15, it says, for I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews. So Joseph knew that he had been kidnapped. He knew that his, his brothers had kidnapped him, sold him into slavery. He was well aware what was going on in his life. And we're told a little bit, we're given a little bit more detail about what's going on here in the, in the life of, uh, of, of Joseph in Psalm 105. In Psalm 105, verse 17, it says, Psalm 105, verse 17, it says, He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. So 
So what we're not told in Genesis, we're told in Psalm 105 that his feet were placed in fetters and they were afflicted. So he was, his legs were locked in and they were afflicting him. So he was tortured as many slaves would be and put on the slave market. And, and uh, now some people say, well, the torturing came when he ultimately went into prison. Either way, the man was tortured. He was a slave. Yet it says of him in verse 2, he was a successful or prosperous man. So you see, prosperity in the eyes of God is very different than prosperity in the eyes of the world. Prosperity in the eyes of the world has very much to do with our outward position. With God, it doesn't have to do with our outward position. It has to do with what's happening on the inside. God made him a prosperous man and he was a slave. Yet he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, it says in verse 2. So he had a master over him. He was a slave, yet God viewed him as being prosperous. Prosperous in God's eyes goes way beyond what our outward position is. God says, this is a prosperous man. When God promises us in Psalm chapter 1, he promises us that if we meditate on his word, he will make us prosperous. He will make us like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and in whatever we do, we prosper. So it's not what's happening on the outside. God gives a level of prosperity which far exceeds anything that's happening on the outside. You see from God's view, you say, you're looking down at that guy. Look at that guy, he's prosperous. You say, well, he's a slave. He's been kidnapped. We would put it in, in our present day terms, we would call this human human trafficking. He was humanly trafficked. He was part of human trafficking. And then we're going to see in this chapter, he was very much a part of sexual exploitation as a slave. Yet God said of him, he prospered. Now, so in verse two, it says he was a successful man or a prosperous man. Verse three, now his master saw, saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. His master saw that the Lord was with him. This word Lord here which is small caps, that means Jehovah, that's Yahweh, that's the personal name of God, which Israel later on stopped using because they considered that name too holy. Uh, but it, there, it's, it's, it's right there. He saw that Yahweh was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper. So even his master recognized that this Hebrew, this Hebrew's God was with him. Not that Potiphar knew the Lord, but he saw something was with him. He knew that the Lord was with him. And everything he put his hand to prospered. I mean, just amazing. God was blessing him, and here he was, a slave and prospering. Remember, your prosperity is not from something of what your position is outside. It's the, it's the position of God with you and God in your heart. That's prosperity. And everything he did how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. Verse 4, So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. So this elevated him in the sight of his master and he was promoted to chief of staff. He became his personal servant. So he had many other servants as we'll see in this chapter. But he became the chief of staff and he became overseer over all his house. So everything that happened in that house, this man... Was, was in charge of, but he was still very much a slave. 
You, you know, you, you can complain all you want about your work, but I guarantee you, you cannot tell me that your feet have been placed in fetters and they were afflicted. This, what this man was going through is much more than what I've ever gone through in my work, much more than what you've ever gone through in your work. And yet God was elevating him and he was a prosperous man. In verse 5, and it came about from that time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, and the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord, Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the, in the house and in the field. This man was greatly blessed because of Joseph. Greatly blessed because of Joseph. And you see this same sort of thing. Laban said the same thing of his father Jacob. Laban said of Jacob in Genesis chapter 30 verse 27. But Laban said to him, if now it pleases you, stay with me. I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. I've divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. This man's house was blessed because of Joseph being there. Laban's house was blessed because of Jacob being there. The house of Obed-Edom was blessed because the ark of God went into his house. And it says, God blessed the house of Obed-Edom. Everything Obed-Edom had was blessed when the ark of God moved into his house. You know, when I, when I taught for 11 years, the first 11 years of my career, I taught at the University of South Carolina. And then when I, when I decided to take the position at Rice, you, you know, I had no ill will toward anything that happened to me at South Carolina. The people were very good to me, very nice to me. And, uh, and the president made one last, the president of the university there made one last uh, attempt to try to keep me at South Carolina. And he had me into his office. And when I said, no, I, I, I think I'm going, I, I you know, really consider this. I think I'm going to take the position at Rice. So this was in 19, uh, 1998 that I announced it, but 1999 when I, when I finally left. And he had me into his office and he took me out. He says, I want you to meet somebody. I want you to meet some people. And he brought me out to his staff. So, so his staff running the university. He says, I want, you to, I want you to look at this guy. It's because of him that we've been blessed all these years. He says, I have seen him going into the chapel at noontime every day to pray. I didn't know that the president was watching me from his office going into the chapel at noontime every day to pray. I didn't know it. He brought me out to his office, to his staff. He says, I want you to know why we were so blessed. It's because this guy was praying in that chapel every day. We take the Lord into our workplace and we can bring down blessing upon that workplace when we take the Lord. It's not just all about us. We bring blessing upon the workplace where Joseph went. He brought blessing upon Potiphar's home in the home and in the field of Potiphar. Everything that Potiphar owned was blessed because of Joseph. I want Rice University to be blessed because of my being there. I want them to excel. I pray that Rice University excels and does better. I pray for their good. I want them to excel because of me. God has us in a particular place and because of you, you can be a blessing to your research group. You can be a blessing to the group that you're in. You take the Lord with you into that place and blessing comes onto that group because of you. The value of you in that place is great. You will not always be appreciated, but the blessing of God is there. Powerful, powerful portion. And it says, it says in verse 6, So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. 
And with him, there he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. He left everything to Joseph. He trusted him in every detail. Well, well what's with the food? Well, the, the, the food is a particular thing because uh, uh, the, to the Egyptians, to eat with a Hebrew, to have a Hebrew person around your food was disgusting to them. And that's revealed to us in Genesis chapter 43, verse 32. Genesis 43, 32 says, So they served him by himself, and they by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat bread with the Hebrews, for it is loathsome to the Egyptians." So it was loathsome to the Egyptians to eat bread with a Hebrew. To use the term Hebrew was the way that a descendant of Abraham identified himself to another party. They identified themselves as Hebrews. And remember, this is just, this is just the, 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 uh, um, the great-grandson of Abraham. And already they were called a distinct people group, the Hebrews. And, and, uh, uh, and this is what other people referred to them. So Egypt is a big, grand society. And here you're just in the fourth generation from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When you're a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you had to be a descendant of Jacob to be called a Hebrew. You couldn't have been one of the other lines. So, so many Jews don't even know this today. They don't understand the biblical definition of Jew. Jew means that you are a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not just Abraham, because Abraham had other sons that were not part of this clan. You had to be a descendant, actually, of Jacob. And, and that's the scriptural definition of a Jew. And in that time, they were called a Hebrew. And it says, it says that, so he, he just, it would be like you trying to eat your dinner with a snake on the table. You'd be like, this is just too gross, I can't do this. And this is what it was to them. So, so the, the food was an issue with them. But in verse 6 it says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So Joseph was really good looking. The Bible speaks of people's looks only on the extreme. When they were extremely good looking, it will mention it. It says, for exa- as example, of, uh, um, of Abigail, that she was a very good looking woman. Abigail was. It, it, it says things on the extreme. It doesn't just say, oh well... He was an ordinary looking guy. It says of, of, uh, um, of King Saul that he was, he was uh, uh, head and shoulders above all men, you know, show, showing the, 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 the man's size. It said of Eglon that he was a very heavy man because, because later on Ehud ends up taking a dagger and shoving it into the man's belly and the fat wraps around the end of the dagger. I mean, it, you know, the, the Bible really makes a point there. But here it says Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. The only other person in the Bible that speaks this of is King David. King David. It speaks the same word here. The same Hebrew word here is used of King David. This word handsome. So Joseph was really good looking in form and in appearance. So in other words, his body was very well proportioned. And this is going to become an important point now in this chapter. If a person is extremely good looking whether it be male or female, they have an extra set of issues that have to be dealt, dealt with in life, an extra set of, of challenges uh, that they have to deal with. It's the same as if a person is born into a very wealthy home. Learning how to deal with wealth and the way people look at you because you've been born into that home. If a person is exceedingly wealthy, you think, oh wow, that must be nice to look that good. It's not so nice. Because people who are, women who are exceedingly beautiful 
have lots of other challenges coming at them all the time. Men who are exceedingly handsome have many other physical challenges coming at them all the time uh, 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 where, where they're, they're having temptations put before them that a typical normal-looking human being doesn't have put upon them. You think, well, that might be a good problem to have. Well, from what I have seen in my life, it is not that good of a problem to have. It is not that good of, a, of an issue to have because it is hard in both directions. You get tempted into things because you have access to things that, that other people don't have and people ha will be pouring themselves out upon you uh, uh, because of the way you look. And this, this is exactly what happens here. So in verse 7, So it came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and she said, Lie with me. But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. And he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? And she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Okay, so here the Potiphar's wife starts hitting on Joseph. Now remember, he is a slave. What happens when there's a slave? I mean, there is terrible sexual abuse of slaves. Terrible. Because they are under a master, a hierarchy there. And she is, is, is practicing this sexual exploitation of a slave like has been practiced all around the world. And he has been thrown into human trafficking and now sexual exploitation. And she starts hitting on him. And so this is Potiphar's wife. And it says it started with she looked. It says uh, the master's wife looked with desire at Joseph. It starts in the eye. It starts in the eye. Looked with desire. As soon as it starts with our eye, may the Lord give us a check and to say, Lord, protect me. Lord, protect me before it goes any further. Lots of times we have temptations come to us. Temptations at work, temptations in the workplace, temptations in, at, at different places. When that comes in the eye, may we call upon the Lord, Lord, protect me, that it not go beyond my eye that it not go beyond my eye. As Job said, I've made a covenant. I've made a covenant with my heart that I will not look upon a virgin. In other words, he's crying upon, uh, out to the Lord, Lord, protect my eyes. Protect me from falling into this. And if you think, oh, this could never happen to me, it will happen to you. If you think it could never happen to you, you're all the more vulnerable. What you should be saying is, Lord, protect me from this ever happening to me. Protect me from this, O Lord. Protect me from being viewed in this way. Because when somebody starts hitting on you, it's, I mean, you know, it's very easy to fall. Lord, protect me from this, I pray. Protect me. So she looks upon him and then she says to him, lie with me. So brazen, so brazen. Why would she be so brazen? Because he's a slave. She can just order him, lie with me. Brazen. And this is what it says of the adulteress in the book of Proverbs. It says of the adulteress that the, the adulteress hunts for the precious life, for the precious life. Because your life is precious, people will try to get you into sexual immorality because your life is precious.
The adulteress hunts for the precious life. This is what it says in the scriptures. The adulteress hunts for the precious life in Proverbs 6, verse 26. She hunts for the precious life. The men have an eye out for women and they're trying to destroy the precious life. The precious life. This is, and so you have to say, Lord, protect me. Lord, protect me. There is nothing in me that is so super strong that can protect me in my marriage, that can protect me from falling into infidelity. Nothing in me. It is only going to be by your hand. It says in verse 8, but he refused his master's wife. Now, this is a dangerous thing. He's a slave and he refuses, but he gives an explanation. And look at how he explains it. He doesn't just say, no way, lady. I'm not going to do that. No, that's not what he says. He is subservient to her. So he says, Behold, with me here, my master doesn't concern himself with anything in his house. And he has put all things he owns under my charge. But he, he recognizes, look at this guy. He, this guy doesn't go into a pity party, which he could have. Don't you realize what I've been through? Don't you realize that I was kidnapped? Don't you realize that I had my feet placed in fetters? Don't you realize that they, they brought me down here into Egypt in chains? Don't you realize I was put on a slave block and I was tortured? Don't you realize what I've been, been through? 17 years old, I was, I was put in your house. And now it's estimated he was about 24, 25 at this time. So he's been in that house, uh, seven or eight years and, uh, uh, and don't you realize what, but look at how he speaks. This guy only speaks positively. I don't want to say anything bad about Rice University. I don't want to say anything bad about the president of the university or the chair of my department. Lord, forgive me for speaking poorly of these people. They are my superiors. May I only speak well of them. May I only speak well of my employer. People ask me, how is it working for Rice? I said, Rice is a great employer, greatest employer I've ever had. Now, that doesn't mean they're perfect, but look at how the guy's speaking positively. He doesn't go into his own pity party. This guy speaks positively. So you can see now, we were told before by Moses, as he's accounting this, we were narrating what his life was like. It was so prosperous. Now we hear from Joseph's own lips. The guy was prosperous because he was upbeat. He was encouraged. He didn't walk through the house spitting and cursing about being a slave. He had only good things to say about his master, only good things to say about the place. He's speaking good things. He's speaking well of his master. I'll tell you, I hire a lot of people. A lot of students come through my lab. When I have a student who drags their lunchbox to work and is always complaining about stuff, I don't even want to be around them. I don't. Because I don't want that negative spirit to come off on me. I'm like, just stay away. When I have had students that... Everything they do, they, oh, that doesn't work. Oh, that'll never work. I said, how do you know? You never tried to react. Oh, that probably won't work. I said, but if you don't believe it's going to work, it's not going to work. I want somebody who's going to say, yeah, let's try it. Yeah, let, let's do that. I want somebody who speaks positively. You want people around you that are speaking positively. And that's why the guy got promoted. He's not, not complaining the whole time about his state there being a slave. He's getting promoted up until he's chief of staff, the head guy. Head guy there. Because he's speaking positively. He says, everything's in my charge. Any good thing he can think of, he's speaking. He's speaking forth positive things. He says in verse 9, there's no one greater in this house than I. You say, well, that doesn't sound very humble. He's just speaking honestly. I'm chief of staff. 
I think of my position in the university. I look at my position. Sometimes I look around my office. I'm like, wow, I have a red cherry table in my office that was built for me. When I was interviewing at Rice, they, they, I mean, this is a private university, and they, they had somebody come, and they say, you, you know, we, you want a table? Yeah, a table, how big would you like it? And they mapped the thing out, and they said, what kind of wood? He showed me different, they said, what kind of wood is this? I said, that's red cherry. I said, yeah, I'll have that. I mean, red cherry table, matching red cherry chairs, matching red cherry desk that, that wraps around me at work. And I go into my work, I've been in that office over 20 years, and every time I go in, I'm like, I don't deserve this. I am so blessed, so blessed. I started with a little metal desk when I started as an assistant professor. It was a graduate student's desk. That's what I had. It was all rusted and you know, metal drawers that were hard to pull out. And then I got this whole thing. Look at how God blessed. When you speak positively, people around you like it. When you speak positively of the things around you, yeah, you can always find something that's bad. Don't focus on that. He was greatly blessed. And he says, in verse 9, There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me. There's nothing he's withheld from me. Anything I've wanted, he's given me. And this is what I feel about the university. I mean, they've given me so much. He's had nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. Look what he does. My master, he keeps referring back to his master. He puts it on his master. He says, I can't do this. This is not me refusing you. It's my master. My master. My master has done this. He has given me everything except you. Except you. Because you are his wife. He's reminding her, you are his wife. Without saying, look, you tramp. Don't you know you're another man's wife? No, he says, you, because you are his wife. You see the way this guy is so clever in the way he sets this thing up. He is encouraging her to realize you are this man's wife. How could I touch you? He says, and he, he, he says, you know, he's given me everything except you. I can't do this even though you are commanding me. I am deferring to my master who is over you. I'm deferring to him. He is the one who says I can't. He's the one. So you will always do well if you take the side of Jesus. So in other words, when people accuse you of certain things, uh, you know, I speak in many universities and, and people will ask me different things and, and they'll, they'll say, say uh, um, and, and I, I learned this from this book, Tactics. And, and uh, it, it, it's... It, if you take the side of Jesus, you can't go wrong. So people will say, you know, what, what, do, you, what do you think of, of, uh, of, of certain things? And, you, you know, there's, there's no winning with this thing. And I say, do, do, you, do you respect Jesus? Now, even if they don't accept Jesus as Lord, they say, yeah, he's a good teacher. I say, okay, he's a good teacher. Jesus is a good teacher. What did Jesus say about that issue? All right. Here's what Jesus said about marriage in, 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 uh, in Matthew chapter 90. Here's what he said about marriage. I stand with Jesus. What are they going to say? I stand with Jesus. You defer it to Jesus. You put the burden upon Jesus. He's putting the burden upon his master. 
My master keeps me from you. You see how clever this guy is? My master keeps me from you. I have, you know, within me I'm a slave. I have no right to refuse you. It's my master who teaches me this. My master. And let me tell you something. Let's get a little more personal. You got a guy here who's 24, 25 years old. He's away from his family. He's away from everything he knows. He's away from all godly influence. Now remember, his father, uh, Jacob, was 15 when Abraham died. So he knew Abraham. So his father, Jacob, knew Abraham. He was very close to his father. Joseph was very close to his father. Uh, uh, Joseph was very close to his father, Jacob. He learned some things, but he's far away. He's traveling. He's very far away. He's a slave. Here is a woman hitting on him. And he's able to endure this. And she says to me in a brazen fashion, lie with me. If a woman says this to a young man, I'm just telling you the vast majority of young men are just going to melt. And especially when they are in a situation, when they're away from all family, when there's nobody particular watching, they're going to melt. But look at what this guy says. He finishes up in verse 9. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? He puts this evil act, I can't do this evil act to my master. He's deferring as we would to Jesus. I can't do this because of my master. And sin against God. He knew that this was a sin against God. Because God sees everything. God sees everything. There is no getting around it. God sees everything. God sees everything. Everything he sees. He brings God into the matter. And he says, I can't do evil against my master. And I can't sin against God. How can I sleep with this other man's wife? I can't do this to my friend. You're his wife. And I can't sin against God. I can't do this. Look at how this man resists. We're going to learn more about how he resists. But what I want to remember from this teaching is he spoke positively of the situation he was in and God prospered him. Everything is not perfect in your life. Everything was not perfect in his life. But he spoke of the positive. We never see him speaking of the negative. He spoke of the positive. And what he did is God then brought him up. Everything he put his hand to was blessed. I'll tell you, I feel sometimes everything I put up my hand to is blessed. My projects in my lab, I just do not deserve all the blessing. I don't deserve all the blessings I have. I don't. This is God's blessing. Everything this man put his hand to, it is blessed. This is what I feel like. I feel like in my life, everything I put my hand to, it is blessed. The projects that have not been, work, that, that have not been good were, were just duds and God didn't want me working on them. There wasn't much glory to be had. By wasting time on those. I've had lots of proposals not funded. Why? Because God didn't want me wasting my time on that stuff. He knew what was going to be really big. He knew. And he guided us into these things. I really believe that. And if my proposals are not funded, yeah, I'm kind of dejected for five minutes. But it's only five minutes because I realize God has something better for me. He has something better for me. And he leads us in the right way. I trust God. 
We need to trust God. And you speak positively about these things. And God can bless you and, and bring you up and make you prosperous in whatever your situation. And pray. Pray to God that you don't fall when people, when these temptations come at you in life. Pray to God that these things don't hit you. Wives, pray for your husbands that they don't fall into temptation. That's why Jesus said, pray that you don't even fall into temptation. I mean, how many young men could endure to have a woman walking up to them, praising them and saying, wow, you, you got big muscles. I'll tell you, you take a young man and a young lady says to him, wow, you're, you're funny. Wow, you're really strong. I mean, that man will not stop thinking about it all night long. He's going to be thinking about what that young lady said to him. Only by God's grace will we stand. Only by God's grace will we stand and walk in, in, in uprightness in our marriages, uprightness in our relationships. Only by God's grace. May we call upon Him for help. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank You so much for Your Word. I thank You for the life of this man, Joseph. Lord, thank You for teaching us to speak positively about things. Thank You, Lord, that You call us prosperous even when things might not be going well in our lives. Thank you, Lord. And Father, I pray, I pray particularly, Lord, for the young people, for the young men and the young women on this call, on this, um, in, in this Zoom call. Father, I pray for your grace to keep them from falling into temptation. Father, deliver them, I pray. Only by your grace, only by your grace could they stand. Father, I pray that you'd instill in them the fear of God as Joseph had and the appealing to authority that this young man had. Father, teach us your ways. And Father, I pray for the, the lost who are on this call. Draw them to Jesus. Draw them to Jesus, I pray. And Lord, I pray for the believers whose minds and eyes wander into that which is not right. Father, I pray that you'd give them victory, that they would not allow their eyes to wander into pornography. Father, that they would take physical steps to protect themselves from this, lest they fall, lest it destroy their lives. Lord Jesus, your grace, your grace abound upon them, I pray. Your mercy and your grace, Lord, keep us from temptation and deliver us from evil, I pray. Don't even let the temptations come our way, I pray. Don't even let them come our way. In the name of Jesus, amen.